Hey, welcome to the Altered Podcast, a place for people like you and me who are being radically altered by God through the suffering that has drastically altered our lives. Here we will talk about the suffering that affects you and those you love and discuss how God can use that very suffering to alter you into the image of his son, Jesus. So thanks for checking us out. This is our maiden show. We are babies in the world of podcasting, and I have no idea what this will evolve into or really what I'm even doing, but I'm excited to find out. We plan on releasing a new podcast every month. Whatever the topic, no matter the topic, the show will always have a bent towards suffering and our practical responses to it. Suffering can never occur in a person's life without altering it in some way. We want to bring perspective and hope to those suffering, encourage sufferers like you and me, and empower all to leverage their suffering for God's glory. Some episodes that you might want to check out are Jesus Was Handicapped and The Indignity of Aging. You may not be old, but you are aging, and there is nothing you can do to stop it. What can we do to maintain our dignity as aging attempts to rob it from us, and how can we restore dignity to those who are much older around us? Today we are going to come right out and talk about that thing that is in the back of every sufferer's mind, that thing we purposely push back there, especially when we suffer or watch a loved one suffer in desperate and scary ways. That thing in the back of every sufferer's mind is a haunting question, a question whose potential terrifying answer causes us all to tremble. But no matter how far back, no matter how deep down we push the question, it never leaves. And the question is this. What if God doesn't fix it? What if all the emotional hurt I'm enduring now won't ever go away? What if the physical pain only grows worse? What if I never get on the other side of this personality or mood disorder? What if my marriage never gets better? What if God doesn't fix my mom's cancer? What if God doesn't fix my cancer? Whatever we are going through, there are similar questions going on in our heads. They all boil down to, what if God doesn't fix it? We all hate this question because we all know there is a possibility that the answer we get may not be the fix we ask for. Years ago, when I was really confused and struggling and watching my wife fall apart, this before we had a diagnosis that she was borderline personality disorder, I picked up a book by Laura's story titled, When God Doesn't Fix It. I almost didn't read it because I could not accept the fact that there might be a plan of God not to fix our situation. I know for sure I didn't want to accept it. But I read it anyway. By the time I finished the book, guess what? I still had not changed my mind. I did not want to accept a plan that did not include a fix. But I had moved a little bit closer to accepting another outcome. An outcome other than my own. If I had to. I've never stopped praying for a miracle. I've never stopped asking God to heal Heidi of borderline personality disorder and the crazy self-destructive behavior that occurs with it at times. I've never stopped begging God to give us back our normal life and to relieve me of the anxiety that comes from 
living with a person with a personality disorder, but I have stopped holding on to my plans for my life. I submit my request to God and then I submit myself to God. This does not mean, however, God does not have a plan to fix. Not to fix our suffering per se, but to fix us spiritually. When we can get to a place spiritually where we want to be like Jesus more than we want our suffering to end, things change. We start changing. We start experiencing joy in the midst of the junk and the pain and the hurt. We experience the abundant life that is only experienced when we are desperately dependent on Jesus. There is a very quick and poignant story in the Gospel of Matthew of when God didn't fix it. Matthew 11, verses 2 through 6, John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, is in prison for God, for being a prophet of God, for pointing people to God's son, Jesus. John has sacrificed it all for Jesus, and while he's sitting in prison, he begins to wonder if Jesus is really the Messiah. Because if Jesus, John's own cousin, were the Messiah, why in the world would he still be sitting in prison? Jesus, who can raise the dead and make the blind see, would surely by now have sprung his own cousin from jail. John, like all of us at times, seems to question Jesus. And so he sends his disciples to go question Jesus, and they ask if he's the expected one, or should they be expecting someone else. Jesus tells them to go back and tell John this answer. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. Here Jesus is quoting Isaiah 35, which is a messianic passage or a passage foretelling what the Messiah or expected one would do when he came. Then Jesus switches to Isaiah 61 verse 1, and this is important. Jesus says, the poor have the gospel preached to them. The reason this is important is because Jesus didn't finish quoting from Isaiah 61.1 here in Matthew. He just stops abruptly. In Isaiah 61.1, Isaiah writes, Because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. Which is Jesus quoting Matthew, here in Matthew 11, the gospel or the good news is preached to the poor or the afflicted. But the verse goes on in Isaiah to say the Messiah would also bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom to the prisoners. Jesus completely leaves this part out of the verse. Jesus essentially is telling John, I am the expected one, but I am not at all what you expected. I am not going to fix your situation in prison. For John, there would be no binding of his broken heart. There would be no liberty or freedom proclaimed to him, the prisoner. This is the terrifying answer we all dread when it comes to the question, what if God doesn't fix it? But Jesus finishes verse 6 saying, And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. When Jesus, the expected one, did not act like John expects he should, John doesn't stumble at this, but by faith continues to endure his imprisonment for Jesus. How will you respond when you realize that most likely God isn't going to fix your situation or suffering? How will you react when the expected one does not act on your behalf like you expect he should? You can be offended and so stumble in your faith, or you can be blessed if by faith you accept the plan and endure it. John would later be executed in prison. His head would be cut off and put on a platter. 
Jesus did not act on John's behalf like John expected he should. John did not get the fix he wanted. But just because the expected one did not act like John expected he should, he didn't allow it to cause him to stumble in his faith. Rather, he endured. Knowing this, Jesus goes on a few verses down to say this about John. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. The last part of the verse says this, Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So what if God doesn't fix it? How does becoming least in the kingdom of heaven and our question, what if God doesn't fix it, connect? The answer, I believe, is what I mentioned earlier. I submit my request to God and then I submit myself to God. I submit my request to God and then I become the least. I become nothing by submitting myself to God. The Apostle Paul, I believe, makes this very practical for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. The first thing we see is this. He asks for the fix. And so when suffering comes, first we ask for the fix. Ask for the miracle. Paul asked God three times. I personally would have asked more, but I'm not Paul. But when it, it becomes obvious that the answer is there will be no fix, like Paul we should move to acceptance and meaning. Paul accepted the thorn in his flesh and then he gave it meaning. He leveraged his weakness, which was not going away, so that the power of Christ would be displayed in his life. The second thing we see in verse 9 is this, and here's a question for us to think about. How did Paul make that move from wanting the fix to contentment without the fix? And I think it's because he held onto the word of God, which said, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. If you believe God's grace is sufficient, that it's all the strength you need, and his power is perfected in your pain, you are unstoppable in your unfixed suffering. When you believe God's grace is empowering you to sustain you in your unfixed suffering, and you know his power will be displayed through you, you are unstoppable in your unfixed suffering. If the fix doesn't come, keep submitting your request. Keep asking for the miracle. But as it becomes apparent that a quick fix or a fix at all is not in the plan, ask for strength to submit yourself to God, to surrender your plan for the fix for his plan to fix you into the image of Jesus using the very suffering that won't go away. So many times I've prayed, God, sustain me. Give me grace to endure so that your power may be perfected through this mess. What do we learn? Two things. First, as we saw in the story with John the Baptist, the expected one, Jesus, does not always act how we expect he should. Why would he not spring us from our prison of suffering if he loves us? We're his family, aren't we? I don't know. But sometimes he just doesn't. The expected one doesn't always act how we expect he should. We shouldn't stumble in our faith at this, but submit ourselves to God who loves us. Number two, as we saw with Paul, when suffering arises, we go to God and we submit our request. It may be three times or 300 times, but at some point when we realize the fix we are requesting isn't in the foreseeable future, 
and God is asking us to go with him on the long haul, we submit our request for grace and strength to sustain us. And then we submit ourselves to God. We can do this knowing that there is meaning in whatever trial we are enduring because in our weakness, in our pain, in our hurt, God's power is made perfected through us. His power to transform us into the image of Jesus. His power to bring people to faith through our stories is eternally worth it when God does not fix it. Mm